morning, everyone. Uh, it is good to be here. Uh, and can I just say how much I really appreciated Friday night? Uh, it was special. And I realize that many of you were involved in that, and, and so I do want to thank you. I also believe it was significant in terms of what Sean shared with us from Jeremiah 29. And, and as a church, I do think that we need to reflect further on what God might be saying to us. And so can I encourage you as church to begin to specifically pray into what Sean shared from Jeremiah 29. And if, if you weren't able to come along on Friday night, I know very soon we will have a copy of what Sean shared available. So please, Windsor Baptist, can I invite you to pray into what God said to us. Uh, I love music. Uh, uh, and we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel. And I realize that so many of you probably do as well love music. And the reason that I love music is because it's so influential and it's so powerful. A song can inspire you. A song can motivate you. A song can reduce you to tears. A song can even get you up on your feet dancing. Well, maybe that's taking it a bit far. Uh, does anyone know what DVD was released last week that has become the fastest selling DVD of all time, shifting 1.7 million copies in its first day of release. Somebody can, yeah, Mamma Mia, absolutely. A, a movie that is based on a musical of the same name, and it's a, a, a movie and a musical that is built around songs, ABBA songs. How many people, come on, this is confession time, it's always good on a Sunday morning. How many people have seen this movie? Look at that. <laughs> Uh, it is such a feel-good fil uh, film. Music and songs have got this unique ability to change and impact your mood, even if it is temporarily. A couple of weeks ago, uh, on I'm a Celebrity Now, I know I've just revealed how sad I actually am, but there was this extremely poignant moment whenever totally unexpectedly music started playing in the jungle. And it was the song, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Now, I know that's a naff song, and some of you are now starting to hum it in your heads. Uh, but what happened, how many people saw this moment, but what actually, happened, what actually happened next was fascinating. Because people started to sing. People started to smile. People started to relax. And the whole atmosphere changed in those Three minutes, because such is the power of a song. At this time of year, music is particularly popular. In fact, it's hard to escape a minute. I mean, how many times in the next few weeks are we going to hear I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day by Wizard or White Christmas by Bing Crosby when we're out shopping? But you see, one of the key questions that gets asked every year at this time is who is going to be the Christmas number one. Now, for those of you who are just going to disconnect from probably most of what I say this morning, here's a little thing to be thinking about, okay? Can you remember what last year's Christmas number one was? Roy has a prize for you after the service, if you can tell him what it was. But for the next four Sunday mornings, as we prepare 
for Christmas. And as a sort of Advent series, what I would like us to do is to consider four songs. Four very significant, four very powerful, four incredibly influential songs that were actually sung by a whole variety of singers during the very first Christmas. And every one of them is a contender for the original Christmas number one slot. The four songs are recorded by Luke, who actually tells the gospel story in far more detail, or the Christmas story in far more detail than any of the other gospel writers. And each song that he records for us is different. It's very different in its content, very different in its style, very different in its length. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the first of the four songs, which is sung by this young teenage girl called Mary. And the title of her song, or at least the title it has been given, is The Magnificat. And the words are found in Luke chapter 1. And so can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's word. And we're going to read from verse 46 down to 55. So please stand with me if you will. Listen to Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And the song ends, and then we just hear that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Please take your seats. Mary's song, the Magnificat, and it's called the Magnificat because that's its first word in Latin, is probably one of the most famous songs in Christianity. And as Tom Wright comments, it's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight, and set to music with kettles, or with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. Numerous people have set the words we have just read to music. But I wonder what the tune was like. I wonder what it sounded like whenever Mary first sang it. But almost irrespective of what the tune was like, it's the lyrics that are just so profound. Lyrics that I want to suggest this morning have the potential to inspire us. The potential to motivate us. Maybe even the potential to reduce us to tears. But what is it that caused this teenage girl to break into song? What has been, or maybe a more important question is, who has been her inspiration? Well, we all know that Mary has recently discovered that she's going to have a kid. 
It's going to be a son. And it's going to be an extraordinary son. A son who will apparently do incredible things. And so having just received this dramatic news, Mary ups and goes to visit her older cousin, who is also pregnant, six months pregnant. And so Mary stays in the hill country of Judea with Elizabeth. And it's in that context and in that place that she starts to sing. And as the song begins, right from the word go, you realize that here is a young woman whose heart is just bursting with praise. She cannot contain her expression of worship any longer. And there's a real exuberance and a spontaneity and a freedom in this song which comes. Why? Because here is a singer whose heart has been captured by the love of God. And Mary wants to express that. She needs to express that. And in this moment, as we listen to this song, you and I have the privilege of listening to someone who is actually lost in wonder, love and praise. Words that we have sang this morning. And I suppose as I've reflected on these lyrics, it's forced me personally to consider the reality of the worship that I bring this Christmas and the reality of the worship that I offer to my God at this time of year. And as I've reflected on those lyrics, it's also encouraged me to examine the condition of my heart. And even during a service like this, where we have been invited by by Roy to join with each other, in singing praise to God, I need and I must search my heart to know, have the words that I have sang this morning come from here? Have they been expressions of heartfelt worship or have they just been mere words that Roy's chosen for us that were on the screen at the front of a church? Not long ago, I got a copy of this album, Passion, God of the City. And the very first song on it is is called You Are God. And here are just some of the lyrics that have really grabbed my attention. You are the joy of man's desire. You're father. You're satisfier. And we are stunned with wide-eyed wonder. You are God. You are God. And it's that line, we are stunned with wide-eyed wonder that has really captured my attention because I find it deeply challenging. You see, I'm all too aware of the disconnect at times between the sentiment and the reality. And so often, and I'm, I'm just being honest with you and I need to be right from the word go, but so often I turn up to a church service and I simply go through the motions. And so I sing the songs And I pray the prayers. And I listen, or at least I attempt to listen to the sermon. And I walk away unmoved. Or unstunned, if there is such a word. 
And I know, I'm not saying, and I know I maybe have attended, and it's not in this case, a pretty ropey service. And I could blame it. But actually, what it causes me to do is to walk away and examine my heart. And Mary starts this song by singing, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Here is a song that is coming from the very depths of this young woman's being. And what she sings are not simply words. Here is someone worshipping in spirit and in truth. That out of the overflow of her heart, she sings. And so where's my heart this morning? Where is your heart this morning? What state is it in before a holy God? Years before Mary, there was another ancient songwriter who penned these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. More recently, Matt Redman wrote these lyrics. You search much deeper within, right through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And so as God investigates and as God excavates, does he find in me a heart that is bursting with praise of him? Or a heart that is distant and cold and uninvolved. The song continues as Mary then celebrates the fact that forever in a day she will be called blessed. You know, to be blessed of God doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. And I know we all realize that. Doesn't mean the absence of pain doesn't mean that we will not go through difficult times. Mary knew and would continue to know hardship right throughout her life. Her pregnancy will be the talk of the town. Mary will somehow experience a sword piercing her very soul, according to Luke 2.35. Mary, as a loving, caring mum, will go through that horrific torture of thinking that she has lost her 12-year-old forever. Mary will be left wondering, what has happened to this son of mine when he turns around 30? Something has happened. Something has changed. But I have no clue what. Mary will know intense despair as she watches her son wrongly accused, beaten, and eventually assassinated. And then for three days in Jerusalem, Mary will wonder why the God that she now sings about and sings to appears to have let her down and shatter all her dreams. Because her son's gone. To be blessed of God is no guarantee of a smooth path. But instead, it comes as a result of the spiritual satisfaction with life that only God can and does give. There is an internal reality to Mary's faith that is not dependent on external circumstances. 
There were going to be many unanswered questions in Mary's life, many extreme pressures, but she knew an inner peace that went way beyond human understanding, and that is such a blessing. That is why she is blessed. And the song continues, and what you discover next is here is a young woman who really knew her God. She knew that her God was mighty. These are words she sings. She knew that her God was mighty and holy. He was merciful. He was to be appropriately feared. He was a powerful God. But Mary didn't just know about God. She had this intimate, personal relationship with God. Because you'll note that she addressed him as God, my Saviour. Mary was acutely aware that God was and is a living, personal presence not only a god to study not only a god to observe from a distance but a god to connect to a god that she as a young woman could relate to from the very depths of her being this was not a god out there this was a god in here mary knew her god do i know my god intimately Personally. But secondly, here was a young woman grounded in the scriptures who not only knew her God, but knew God's story. And those of you who know your Bibles will know that there are at least ten references to the Old Testament in this song. Because Mary, like many Jews of the time, would have known her history. And she would have known it through studying the Torah. She would have soaked herself in the Psalms and in the prophetic writings Songs and writings that spoke of mercy and spoke of hope and spoke of fulfillment and spoke of victory and spoke of God's coming rescue. This is a song that is richly informed by Old Testament history and Old Testament hope. And for me, whenever I read this song and listen to the song, it raises two very personal challenges. One, how well do I actually know God's story? How well do I know his words? How much am I as an individual immersing myself in this? How much time do I give to reading it, meditating on it, reflecting on it, celebrating it and consuming what is a living book? Do I honestly accept that I can't live on bread alone? But that I need to engage with every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Is my use of time characterized by the belief that essential spiritual nourishment is constantly available on tap via this transformative text? Or is my relationship with this merely a casual acquaintance? And the second challenge that I face as I listen to this song and as I discover a young woman who who knew her God's story is how effective and how well am I passing that story on? Passing it on, for example, to my kids. As they listen to what I say, as they watch how I live, How much of God's story do they hear and see? It is so important that we know God's story and that we share it. Now before we move on, let me make about 
a comment about the incredible balance that you actually find in worship whenever you hear the Magnificat. See, in a church, in any church, one of the most sensitive subjects is worship. Everyone has an opinion and a view on how it could be and how it should be. Now, I know what I'm about to say is maybe brave or else stupid. Okay? Probably the latter. But you see, whenever you read this, this is a very impulsive song. This is a spontaneous release of emotion. But note that Mary's feelings and the expression of those feelings are controlled by and are grounded in God's word. And that's an interesting perspective and a helpful balance, I think, to strike. Because there are some people, and I know I am veering off into dangerous territory here, but I don't really know anybody, so I can't really offend anybody. Okay? But you know, there are some people, and they tend to be very rational, very objective. Whereas others are more emotional and subjective. There are some who are quite formal and like to maintain a stiff upper lip. Whereas there's others who prefer informality and they just love to get their feelings right out there. And when it comes to worship in a church context, particularly sung worship, all of us respond in our own way. Some of us would like a lot more expression. Some of us would love more enthusiasm, more emotion, whereas there are others who will freak at the mere prospect. But here's the thing. We're all different. We're all very different, probably. And what we've got to do is learn to respect one another. And in Mary's song, as you listen to it, you encounter a real dynamic Example of balance. Because here is spontaneous zeal. Here is passion. Here is emotion. But it is mixed with, with, it is blended with, it is grounded in objectivity. Rationality. It's both and. Not either or. And so whenever it comes to worship and our expression of worship, yes, there may be some of us and we need to loosen up a little bit. Whereas there may be others and we need to rein it in a little. But let's never forget, and this may again sound very simplistic, but let's never forget that it's a matter of the heart. It's got to come from in here. But back to the song and the one final aspect. Because what I want you to notice is that Mary is singing about a revolution. You see, Mary and Elizabeth shared a dream. And it was the dream of ancient Israel. A dream that one day, someday, all that the prophets had said would come true. But as Mary and as others looked around them, the chances of it happening soon appear to be pretty slim. These were dark days. Dark days of Herod the Great, whose brutality was backed up by the threat of Rome. But as Mary listened to the angel Gabriel, she realized that this time had come. But what was so revolutionary was that it involved people like her. A poor servant girl from some dead-end street has been chosen by Almighty God 
to play a major role in the fulfillment of that dream. This messianic revolution is about to start in the most unlikeliest of places, amongst the most unlikely of people, and in the most unlikely of ways. One writer has said that the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world because it reverses the values of the world and turns them upside down. You see, God comes as he so often does and he turns human ideas about greatness and smallness, significance and insignificance on their heads. In God's eyes, in God's economy, and please forgive the Americanism, it's not all about beauty and bucks and brains. Looks, money, qualifications, achievements, education may cut it and it may be envied in our world, but it is not necessarily in God's world. Mary has discovered, and boy is she going to sing about it, that it's not about power, it's not about wealth, it's not about status, which really matters to God. It's not about the mighty, it's not about the prosperous, it's not about the proud that God favours, but it's perceived nobodies, like teenage girls. And I don't know how you feel about yourself this morning. Especially whenever you come into a church and you look around at everybody else. And you maybe compare yourself to others. Can I encourage you not to go there? Don't do it. How many times do we need to remind ourselves that, yeah, we do look on the outside appearance. And we make judgments of one another based on our outer appearances and our possessions, and our status. And yet, time and time again, we know that God sees the heart, sees the real us. And you maybe think that you know, nobody ever notices me. And I love the line at the beginning of Mary's song where she says, For he took notice of a lowly servant girl. Do you know, other people might walk past you. Other people may avoid eye contact with you. Other people may even blank you. But God never will. Mary was never going to progress up any social ladders. She was never going to get very many breaks in life. She was never going to travel very far or get elected to any significant position. But God, in his mercy, exalts those who fear him. And God saw in Mary what others couldn't or wouldn't see. God saw Humility. And in kingdom terms, that is worth a fortune. The first shall be last and the last first. And Mary now knew that hers was a God of the poor. Hers was a God whose heart breaks for those who hunger. For those who hunger physically, for those who hunger spiritually. And so she sings those lyrics. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away empty-handed. The Magnificat fosters revolutionaries in our churches. You know, people who care about injustice love this song. This is their song. 
because it has the potential to transform the way we think and the way we act and the way we live our lives. Because here is a song that picks up the call to live according to God's counter-cultural values. And that sticks in our world. And we struggle with that. And yet reflecting back on what we heard on Friday night, I believe that God may be calling us as a church in the city to be revolutionaries, to sing a new song, to speak out against injustice, to be a church with a heart that reflects the heart of God for the poor, for the downtrodden, for the lowly, for people who many blank and avoid eye contact with and simply walk by. I need to finish. Should this be a Christmas number one? I'm not sure. But here's what I hope we might take from this morning. May we worship individually and corporately from the heart. May we be constantly stunned with wide-eyed wonder at our God. May we know our God. May we know and pass on God's story. May we celebrate diversity in worship. And may we sing about a revolution. Let's pray. Father, thank you for capturing the heart of this young girl. And thank you for all that she expressed in that song. And may we take the words and the sentiments and the values and the thoughts and may we reflect further. And consider if you're calling us to join in a similar song. Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Of being in intimate, personal relationship with you. May our whole lives sing. In Jesus' name. Amen.